everyone. My name is Jamon McKinney, or you can just call me Juice because that is my nickname. Welcome everyone to the Juice Alert episode number 49 for you ladies and gentlemen today. If you have not subscribed to the Juice Alert already, be sure to do that right about now. You will not regret it. You can, of course, find me on YouTube as well as podcasting platforms. That includes Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all that great stuff. If you're listening on podcasting platforms and you are feeling kind, be sure to leave me a good rating and review. That definitely helps me out right here on the show. And also, if you're listening to this show here on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button right about now. Like I said, that definitely helps me out right here on the show today. I'm covering all NBA topics on the show today. A lot of great NBA topics, like I said. We're going to talk about um, LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers, the New York Knicks. We'll talk about James Harden. We'll talk about Russell Westbrook, Kawhi Leonard, and the Los Angeles Clippers, LaMelo Ball, and so much more. A lot of fun, exciting topics to talk about. I'm pumped for the show. You guys should be as well. Before I do get started with the show, however, I just wanted to say you guys can follow me on social media if you want to connect with me there. My Instagram is G-H-I-M-A-N underscore M-C-K-I-N-N-E-Y. And my Twitter account is at G-H-I-M-A-N M-C-K-I-N-N-E-Y. And if you want to get specific updates regarding this show, you can follow the Juice Alert both on Twitter and Instagram. The Twitter account is at the Juice Alert, and the Instagram account is the Juice Alert underscore. Okay, without further ado, people, let's get started with this show right here. I want to kick off the show by talking about Kevin Durant, who now currently plays for the Brooklyn Nets. Now, obviously, we all know Kevin Durant suffered a huge major injury during the 2019 NBA Finals. He tore his Achilles. I felt he should not have played during that NBA Finals. I felt he rushed his way back, and he should not have played. But, hey, he decided to play. That, that was a decision that he has to live with. But I got to say, Kevin Durant making his way back from his Achilles injury, he looks good as new. He looks, he looks like... The same old Kevin Durant. That's pretty obvious for most people, I would say. Um, yeah, I felt Kevin Durant would make it would make a successful comeback because I do believe Kevin Durant is an historically great player. And I do think that he took the amount of appropriate time that was needed for him to come back from this from this serious Achilles injury. Let's not forget last year during the bubble. There were some reports that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving might return to the bubble for the NBA playoffs, but Kevin Durant said, nah, I'm going to sit it out, and I think that was a smart decision. He took a little bit more extra time. As I said, even if Kevin Durant comes back around 80% of what he once was, that's still one of the 10 best players in all of basketball as we speak today right now, and Kevin Durant has been great in 2021. He's at, he, he averaged on the season 27 points per game. He shot 50% from the field, a career high 45% from three point range. He was in the MVP conversation early in the season before getting injured once again. Obviously, he is now healthy in the playoffs. We just saw him score 32 points in, in game one of the playoffs versus Boston. I think Brooklyn definitely has a chance to win it all this year, no doubt about it. But 
Kevin Durant, to me, is the most talented scorer in NBA history. And I think that this season pretty much confirms it. Now, I will say, I don't quite think Kevin Durant is the greatest scorer of all time. I say that either Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant are is, is the greatest scorer of all time. I probably put Kobe number two, Michael Jordan number one, just because, you know, those guys, I think when they're hot, they can score more points than Kevin Durant. And I've seen them perform better in big games and in more big games than Kevin Durant in regards to the postseason. And I think that in terms of, you know, just evaluating the talent, that's one thing. But you also have to take into account what happens in big games. That's why I'm factoring in. But if we're just going based off of your offensive arsenal and how talented you are as a player, and, and we're just talking scoring the basketball right here, putting the ball in the hoop, okay? I don't think anyone on planet Earth is a more talented and more naturally gifted scorer than Kevin Durant in the history of the NBA, okay? What makes Kevin Durant so great is that he's he's very unique in his own way because he's seven foot tall with a seven six wingspan and he handles he, he he handles the basketball like a point guard. I mean, that's very very rare for someone to see a seven footer shooting thirty foot jump shots and handling the the ba- the basketball like a point guard. Okay, and right now you can make the argument that Kevin Durant right now is one of the five best shooters in all basketball. To me, Kevin Durant might arguably be the the best mid range shooter of all time. As far as his mid-range jump shot goes, it's either him or Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was an amazing mid-range shooter, but so is Kevin Durant. He's got incredible touch around the basket. He can play above the rim. Obviously, he can dunk the basketball. That's pretty obvious. And Kevin Durant is more of a slender guy. You know, he's not someone that, you know, has a ton of muscle mass on him. He's not a guy that lives in the weight room. But he has what I call great basketball strength. And as the years have gone on and on, I think Kevin Durant as a basketball player has gotten stronger and stronger. He's committed more and more to the weight room. And right now, there's no weakness in Kevin Durant's game. He can post you up. He can, he can shoot off the dribble. He can create his own shot. He can get to the hole. With, he can get, he can get to the basket with the best of them. I mean, there's no weakness to his game. Kevin Durant right now might be as close to a perfect basketball player as there is in today's game. And I believe Kevin Durant is the most talented scorer in NBA history. And I think Kevin Durant has a chance to go down as a top 10 player of all time when it's all said and done, no doubt about it. He, at the very least, is is one of the 5 to 10 most talented basketball players of all time. And to me, he's the most talented scorer in NBA history. So, LeBron James obviously dealt with some injuries this past year in 2021. He only played 45 games this year in a 72-game season. That had had a lot to do with some ankle injuries he suffered. And two years ago, LeBron James did only play 55 games during an 82-game regular season due to some injuries. So look, I have to admit, two of the last three seasons, arguably the best player in the game of basketball currently today, LeBron James has dealt with some injuries. Not serious you know, season-ending injuries, but some nagging injuries that has hampered him and caused him to miss some time. I will admit that. However, I think that we need to look at LeBron James' career 
is totality because until the last two to three seasons, LeBron James, you can make the argument that he was on pace to be one of, if not the most durable, you know, NBA superstar and one of the most durable athletes of all time, okay? LeBron James' longevity is something to behold, and really the fact that he's now suffering injuries in his 18th season, I think we really need to now look back and say, man, this guy was super durable, and we need to appreciate that. You know, there's a there's a Tom Brady quality, there's a Michael Jordan quality, where those guys played through a lot of injuries, and they did. They barely missed any games. You know, Michael Jordan obviously had the one serious, you know, season-ending injury early in his career. Tom Brady's had an ACL tear. But outside of that, those guys have been durable. And I'd say LeBron James, he's proven to be the ultimate Iron Man over the past 15 to 17 seasons, you know. Prior to LeBron James' first injury two seasons, two seasons ago in 2019, let me list off how many games he played each season. He played 79 games, 80 games, 79 games, 78 games, 75 games, 81 games, 76 games, 79 games, 62 games during a 62-game shortened season. So he played all 62 games that year. 76, 77, 69, 76, 74, and 82. So for about a 15-year stretch, LeBron James was giving you 75 to 80 games played during the regular season. And keep in mind, that was during a stretch where LeBron James made it to nine straight NBA Finals. So not only was LeBron James playing a bunch of minutes during the regular season, playing 75 to 80 games a year, he was also making deep playoff runs. That speaks to how unbelievably conditioned this guy has been throughout his career. He spends millions of dollars on his body, and rightfully so. I think it's definitely paid off, you know. And many guys choose to work on their game, like work on their skill set, like a Kevin Durant. Like I think Kevin Durant more so chooses to work on his skills rather than, you know, going to the weight room, and that's fine. I think there, I think he still, you know, has a commitment to the weight room. But LeBron is one of those players where he makes sure that the gym is a priority because. He knows that if he can just stay durable year in and year out, the rest will take care of itself. And right now, today, LeBron James just finished his uh, 18th season. And, and at age 36, the guy averaged 25 points per game, 7 rebounds, and 7 assists. That's pretty unprecedented. A lot of players by age 36 or in their 18th season, they're a role player or a guy that's way that's well past his prime. I don't think LeBron James is in the physical peak of his prime anymore. I think his prime ended two to three seasons ago. But LeBron James is still one of, if not the best player in all basketball right now today as we speak. I think at worst right now, he's a top five player. He's still dominating the game of basketball right now. And LeBron James is the ultimate Iron Man. And that's part of his legacy. When we talk about the four championships, maybe even more championships by the time his career is over, the four MVPs that he's won, I think we also need to include the fact that he's been super durable. And that's potentially what's going to allow LeBron James to one day Maybe catch Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the NBA's all-time leading scorer, okay? Because, listen, obviously you have to score points, but a big reason why Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Karl Malone 
are the two all-time leading scorers right now is because they played a bunch of games, and they were super durable, okay? So I got to give LeBron James a lot of props in that regard. His longevity is something definitely to behold, and that's part of LeBron James' legacy. LeBron James, in the past, has definitely proven he's the ultimate Iron Man. That's part of his legacy. So obviously, LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers are looking to make another run to the NBA Finals. Obviously, last year, they won the NBA Finals during the 2020 season over the Miami Heat in six games. They were the most consistent team all year, and they got it done. And LeBron James and that coaching staff, along with Anthony Davis and the role players on the Los Angeles Lakers roster, they deserve a lot of credit, okay? However, I do believe the Los Angeles Lakers still have a legitimate chance to repeat this season. I believe the Lakers should be amongst the favorites to win the NBA championship this year. A lot of people are looking to write the Lakers off. I'm not one of those people. Now, I could see a situation where maybe they get upset by Phoenix. You know, maybe a team like Utah or the Clippers knocks them off before they get to the finals. But if you put a gun to my head right now and you ask me who's going to make the NBA Finals coming out of the Western Conference, I have to pick the Los Angeles Lakers. And from this point going forward, you know, I believe LeBron James has enough for this Lakers team to not only repeat, but compete for, for championships for the next couple of seasons, okay? Through the latter part of LeBron James' career, he will have a chance to still compete for championships. And I'll tell you why, okay? First of all, it's really by default. I mean, when we look at the Portland Trailblazers out west, they rely way too much on Damian Lillard. You look at the Denver Nuggets. They're a small market team. There is some limitations to this roster. And this year, Jamal Murray's hurt, okay? And last year, we saw the Denver Nuggets with Jamal Murray. I understand that they were getting experience. They were a young team. Nikola Jokic is great. But they lost in five games to a healthy Anthony Davis and LeBron James. I'll take LeBron James and Anthony Davis over Nikola Jokic and everyone else on that roster. I'll take LeBron and AD versus those guys, you know. The Utah Jazz, I think I think they rely a little bit too much on Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell is really their only shot creator. And let's be real, I don't see the Lakers losing to a team like the Utah Jazz, who has a lot of good players, but not quite enough star power. Not to mention Donovan Mitchell has only won one playoff series in his career. The Phoenix Suns, I like them a lot, and I do think they have a chance to push the Lakers to a six- or seven-game series this year. But the Phoenix Suns last year were a non-playoff team. In year number one, do we expect them to make an NBA Finals run? And let's be real, Chris Paul, he has some limitations in the playoffs. He's not the, he's not the biggest guy, and he's getting, up, he's getting up there in age, you know? The Los Angeles Clippers. Last year, we saw that story. We saw that train wreck and that story pan out. They can't close games. I don't trust Kawhi Leonard to be the alpha to overtake LeBron James, at least not quite yet. And Dallas and Golden State, you know, Golden State didn't make the playoffs this year. And Dallas, they relied too much on Luka Doncic. LeBron James and Anthony Davis in every single series they play this year, except for when they go against the Brooklyn Nets. They're going to have the two best players on the court at all times. And I think that, you know, they still match up pretty well with the Brooklyn Nets because the Brooklyn Nets, they're more of a finesse team. And the Lakers, they're a team that can get physical with you. I would slightly favor the Brooklyn Nets to win the, to win the NBA Finals this year and pretty much going forward just because I think Kevin Durant 
is really, really talented. James Harden is really, really talented. And let's be real, the Brooklyn Nets have a lot of firepower on offense and even some really good role players like Joe Harris that no one talks about. Kyrie Irving's really good, you know. But I expect LeBron James to get this team to the NBA Finals. It should be finals or bust for this Lakers team. That should be the expectations with the talent on this team, okay? And for the first time in LeBron James's career, not maybe not the first time in his career, but for the first time for a while since he, you know, played for the Miami Heat, he has some real support by his side. Let's not forget when LeBron James was hurt this year, the Lakers obviously weren't knocking team socks off, but they were able to stay afloat in a very tough Western Conference. In fact, I remember them dominating the Brooklyn Nets without without Anthony Davis. And without LeBron James, and Kevin Durant played in that game, okay? I remember them beating the Phoenix Suns without LeBron James. In the past, when LeBron James has been on the Cleveland Cavaliers, when he doesn't play, boy, oh boy, were they just bad, Were they just a bad team and not fun to watch. But now LeBron James doesn't have all the pressure on him, you know? He's got a very good head coach in Frank Vogel by his side, Anthony Davis is a very talented player, one of the 10 best players in all basketball. Dennis Schroeder is a very good, a very good, you know, scoring point guard. Montrez Harrell is really good. Kyle Kuzma is pretty good. You got Andre Drummond to protect the rim. Caldwell Pope is a, is a really good veteran player that ch- that can contribute. Alex Caruso, Wesley Matthews, Marcus Gasol. This Lakers team is really, really deep and not to mention, the final thing that gives me hope that the Los Angeles Lakers can potentially go out there and win a championship with LeBron James still to this day is the Los Angeles Lakers play really good defense. They're the best defensive team in all of basketball. And we've seen throughout the playoffs, you know, over the last 15 to 20 years, the teams that have the best players, you know, the star players, you know, the Kobe's, the Shaq's, the LeBron's, the Durant's, those are the teams that win titles, and teams that can get stops defensively are teams that win titles, okay? So, while the Brooklyn Nets are jacking up a bunch of threes, the Clippers are jacking up a, bu- jacking up a bunch of threes, the Jazz are jacking up a bunch of threes, you know, Golden State with the three ball, the Lakers have the ability to slow things down and play different styles and different brands of basketball, and that lends itself to the playoffs. So, look, I'm not guaranteeing that LeBron James is going to ever win another championship with the Los Angeles Lakers. A lot of things could happen, but I think it's definitely likely that he potentially at least can get to another finals. And as far as I'm concerned, until I see LeBron James, you know, declining or Anthony Davis, you know, really suffering injuries year in and year out, I expect this Lakers team to compete for championships. And that should be the standard. Don't give me the LeBron James excuses. LeBron James has more than enough to go out there and lead the Los Angeles Lakers to another championship. He's already done it once. I could see him doing it once again, maybe this year or at least in the next couple of years going forward. The Lakers will be in the championship picture, and LeBron James has enough support with the Los Angeles Lakers. Okay, so obviously we all know that the Golden State Warriors missed the playoffs this year. They were a victim of the new rules that implemented the play-in tournament for the NBA. 
And as a result, the Golden State Warriors lost their final two games during the play-in series, and they're not a playoff team. Now, I got to hold Steph Curry accountable because even though Steph Curry is a three-time NBA champion, even though he's won multiple regular season MVPs, when I see guys like Russell Westbrook and Damian Lillard and James Harden and Kevin Durant and LeBron James showing in the past that they can carry a team with not a whole lot of talent to the playoffs, and Steph Curry can't get his team to the playoffs when the talent is not stacked in his favor, I believe that should be an indictment on Steph Curry. And I'm not going to say Steph Curry is necessarily overrated, but if I were to choose between if Steph Curry is more overrated or underrated, I say that Steph Curry is a little bit more overrated than he is underrated. But, however, I'm going to save all the Steph Curry smoke and all the Steph Curry criticism probably for the next episode, okay? Because recently I made a segment and a topic dedicated to Steph Curry and his legacy. And on this show, for the most part, I have a lot of positive topics. So look, I'm going to be very positive towards Steph Curry today because Steph Curry did have an unbelievable season. And I believe he did absolutely all he could to try to get the Warriors to the playoffs. He's just maybe not as big as a LeBron James or a Kevin Durant where he can't always dominate night in, night in and night out like those guys. So I'm going to play... The, the segment right here. So right here is how I feel about Steph Curry and his legacy and how he overall changed the game of basketball. Let's play the clip. <laughs> Steph Curry, the Golden State Warriors point guard, is having an unbelievable season in 2020. Um, he just won his second scoring title this year. He averaged 32 points per game this past season in 2020. He shot 48% from the field, 42% from three, along with five rebounds and six assists. I want to talk about Steph Curry's legacy because Steph Curry, obviously, if you don't know, you should already know this, but he's the greatest shooter of all time. You know, if you look at Ray Allen, who's the all-time leader in three-pointers made, Ray Allen played in 18 seasons in the National Basketball Association, and he made 2,973 threes, but he did that in 1,300 total games, and he attempted 7,429 three-pointers in his career. Steph Curry, as we speak today, is only 33 years old, and he's played in 12 seasons, and he's going to obliterate this Ray Allen record, okay, because He's so close to breaking the record already. He's only 33 years old, like I said. I think he has about at least five to seven more, you know, good to great seasons left in him. Probably about two to three great seasons, you know. And then the rest, we'll see what happens. But Steph Curry is a pure shooter. He's going to have a long NBA career and be able to, you know, jack up shots and, and score the basketball at will, you know, even at 40 years old because his jump shot is so pure. But the crazy thing is Steph Curry in 12 seasons has – Two, made 2,832 threes in 762 games, and he's only attempted 6,540 threes in his career. Look, let's look at the comparison to Ray Allen right now. He's going to shatter that three-point record, okay? You know, Steph Curry, easily the greatest shooter of all time. He makes it look easy. His releases off the charts. I mean, the minute he crosses half court, you know he's a threat to score that basketball from long range. I mean, we're talking about threes falling away from defenders, off the dribble, you know, catch and shoot. You know, the shots that he takes 
should not be being taken. But because of Steph Curry, you know he has a chance to make those shots. And more times than not, he actually makes those crazy shots at a high percentage. He's going to shatter that three-point record. Easily the greatest shooter of all time. I mean, he's amazing. But Steph Curry's impact and legacy is beyond being the greatest shooter of all time. Okay, and I'll tell you why. First of all, Steph Curry has turned himself into being one of the most valuable players in all basketball. This year in 2021, the Golden State Warriors are 1-7 and seven when Steph Curry doesn't play. Imagine if Steph Curry didn't play this entire season. Because the season is shortened, the Golden State Warriors, you know, from, from previous years when there was 82 games played, now there's 72 games played, I don't think it would happen, but... The Golden State Warriors would struggle to get the double-digit wins this year. That's how, you know, the that's the discrepancy between when Steph Curry plays for them and when he doesn't play for them. Obviously, Klay Thompson being hurt, you know, doesn't help things. But Steph Curry, you know, when you talk about valuable players, you know, LeBron James, Chris Paul, you know, James Harden, Kevin Durant, he's one of, if not the most valuable player in all basketball. He's in, He's at least in that conversation. But also, the final nail in the coffin as far as Steph Curry's legacy is this. Steph Curry completely changed the game of basketball, okay? This year, the Utah Jazz led the entire NBA in three-pointers made with 16.7 threes made per game. But back in 2009, the first year Steph Curry entered the NBA, the Orlando Magic led the NBA in three-pointers made that season but they only averaged 10.2 threes per game made. So since Steph Curry has pretty much been in the NBA, teams are shooting significantly more threes and making significantly more threes because it's the Steph Curry effect. Okay, Steph Curry is changing the way basketball is being played. In transition, usually teams would automatically look to go for a layup. But now you see teams in transition looking to potentially shoot a three ball. You want to know why? Because Steph Curry made that popular. In today's NBA, if you're a big man and you can't shoot, I'm not going to say you're useless, but your value is decreased by a lot, okay? You know, even some college coaches won't recruit back to the basket big men anymore because they're not as effective as they used to be in the NBA. Dwight Howard used to be a dominant force. Dwight Howard is irrelevant now, obviously because of injuries and age and things like that, but if you're not a big that can stretch the floor and shoot in today's NBA, you're frowned upon. That's just how it is. Steph Curry has changed the way we look at basketballs. He hasn't necessarily eliminated the center position just because Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, you know, Giannis, Anthony Davis, those bigs are still really good. But he really has changed the way we evaluate big men and we evaluate how basketball is played. The style of basketball that is played in today's NBA is influenced by what Steph Curry has brought to the table. The Golden State Warriors proved several years ago you can win a championship being mainly a jump-shooting three-ball team. Obviously, you know, when LeBron James didn't have Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving that that um, aided Steph Curry and the Warriors, but, you know, when Kevin Durant got there and things like that, they were still shooting threes, okay? And Steph Curry has given kids across the nation and across the world a lot of hope, okay? The biggest reason why is because Steph Curry has proven you don't need to be able to jump out the gym to make it in the NBA. You don't need to be crazy, hyper-athletic. 
if you can handle the basketball and if you can shoot the three ball, you got a spot in the NBA somewhere if you put in the work and if you're good enough. Steph Curry, to, to a certain degree, is just smarter than everyone else. Steph Curry realized, hmm, okay, if I can make three-pointers at a high percentage, not only can I take less shots than, than guys like Russell Westbrook and John Wall and not only score more points because a three is more, worth more than a two, not only can I score more points, I can score more efficiently and I can conserve my energy because if you're shooting three balls, you know, you're not driving to the basket as much as like Russell Westbrook and John Wall and things like that. So I can score more points. I can shoot a higher percentage potentially from the field. I can, you know, last longer in the NBA. And quite frankly, that's how things should be. Steph Curry is just smarter than everyone else. And everyone, you know, you know, bangs on Steph Curry and talks about how he's an overrated player and things like that. I think those, I think a lot of those people are just jealous of the way Steph Curry goes about, you know, how he, how he plays the game of basketball. There is a little bit of a light skin, you know, syndrome to him. You know, he's the baby faced assassin and things like that. But I mean, Steph Curry, I will say right now, I don't think he's quite a top 10 player of all time. I think that if you consider him a top 10 player right now, just of all time, you're overrating him a little bit. But I think Steph Curry definitely has a chance to go down undisputedly as one of the 10 greatest basketball players to ever live and and play the game of basketball. He's the greatest shooter of all time. He's one of the most valuable players in the NBA. He's won championships. He was the guy that stirred, you know, the pot in Golden State. Kevin Durant might have been the best player in Golden State. And you could make the argument Kevin Durant was also the most important player in Golden State. But a lot of people will disagree. A lot of people will say that Steph Curry was maybe not the best player in Golden State when Kevin Durant was there, but he was the main alpha. Maybe not necessarily main alpha, but he was the leader. He was the guy that drove the ship and really, you know, made the Golden State Warriors go. He was arguably the most important piece. And Steph Curry elevates his teammates. He's an underrated passer. I think he has really changed the way basketball has been, has, been, has been played over the past couple of years. And Steph Curry, he's the greatest shooter of all time. And to me, that is Steph Curry's legacy right there. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that segment right there. Steph Curry uh, definitely climbing up that all-time list. However, uh, this past year, the fact that he didn't make the playoffs, it's pretty disappointing. But enough about Steph Curry. I now want to talk about the Portland Trail Blazers point guard, Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard, to me, is on pace to be a Hall of Fame player. He's had a nine-year career so far. And during that nine-year career, he's been a six-time All-Star, first-team All-Pro back in 2018. He won Rookie of the Year back in 2013. Right now, Damian Lillard is easily one of the ten best players in all basketball. Over the last six years, he's averaged over 25 points per game. Um, and he's going to score over 25,000 points for his career. He's going to be a Hall of Fame level player. He is 30 years old right now, but I do believe he has at least three to four good to great seasons left in him. And I think that he's a tremendous player. And eight of the last nine years, the Portland Trailblazers have been to the playoffs led by Damian Lillard. And We've also seen Damian Lillard hit multiple game winners in the playoffs. He's one of the most clutch players in the NBA. We we talk, you know, when, when we talk about clutch players in the league, I mean, I can bring up the fact that Damian Lillard had a game winning shot. 
to end the series versus James Harden and the Houston Rockets a couple of years ago. He had a game when he shot a couple of years ago in the playoffs versus Russell Westbrook and the Oklahoma City Thunder. He's a clutch player, no doubt about it. He has ice in his veins. However, anytime I think about Damian Lillard, I get sad because I don't see the Portland Trailblazers winning a championship anytime soon. And I truly believe the Portland Trailblazers are wasting away Damian Lillard's greatness. Now, part of this is on Damian Lillard because he has the freedom to do whatever he wants. He could be like Kawhi Leonard and go join a different team and maybe compete for a championship. He could be like Kevin Durant and LeBron James and, you know, join a super team and maybe win a ring or two, you know? He has that freedom. And Damian Lillard chooses not to utilize that freedom. He wants to stay in Portland, which I have no problem with, you know, but part of the reason why Damian Lillard's not on a championship-level team is because, well, he hasn't put himself out there. He's decided to stay in Portland. I, I respect it, but it's also very, very rare that a player like Damian Lillard comes around. And it's very, very rare that a star player of the caliber of Damian Lillard wants to stay with the same team that drafted him and actually build something and try to compete for a championship. And quite frankly, the Portland Trailblazers have failed to take advantage of some of Damian Lillard's best years. Now, Potentially, could they compete for a championship down the road? Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. But I truly think the Portland Trailblazers have wasted already a good chunk of Damian Lillard's prime. The Portland Trailblazers have made the playoffs eight of the last nine years. That's very, very good. But to me, the Portland Trailblazers are just good with being good enough because I got to ask the question. What free agent signing and what trade has the Portland Trailblazers organization made during the Damian Lillard era to say we're all in as far as trying to win a championship? Obviously, Damian Lillard's had LaMarcus Aldridge for a little bit. You know, he had LaMarcus Aldridge a couple of years ago on his team. C.J. McCombs, a nice player. Even though C.J. McCombs never made an all-star team, he probably should have already, but the point is, they're leaving Damian Lillard out there to hang and dry. And I saw Damian Lillard put on a show versus the Denver Nuggets last night. And it didn't matter. You want to know why? Because Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets have a much more talented roster than Portland. Damian Lillard is up against the wall. He has he doesn't have the support he needs to win a championship. And if Portland was serious about winning a championship, they'd be more aggressive in free agency. They make some more trades to really get things popping. Okay, they really would. They they do those things. And I understand Portland's a small market, but if you truly want to be great and you truly want to compete for championships, you'll go out your way to make things work. And Portland just simply has shown me that they're good at being good enough. And I feel very sad for Damian Lillard because. I truly believe that when it's all said and done, we might be in a situation a couple of years from now where we forget just how great Damian Lillard was and is 
because he's not on a championship team, because we don't see him in as many big games as Kevin Durant or LeBron James and things like that. So I think Damian Lillard is an excellent player. I'd actually rather have Damian Lillard over Russell Westbrook. I think Damian Lillard is much more clutch and not a liability late in games. And he's a much better shooter. I think he understands and has a better feel for the game of basketball than Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook really only has one gear where it's all go, 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 where he really makes bad decisions in the in the worst moments in the playoffs. Damian Lillard, to me, is more even keel when it matters most under pressure. I've seen Damian Lillard un, under, under pressure elevate and get better and drag sorry teams to playoff series wins. While Russell Westbrook can get you to the playoffs, he doesn't always win the series, okay? But I'm not trying to bash Russell Russell Westbrook. He's an excellent player. But I think Damian Lillard is one of the best point guards in the NBA, and his career is being wasted away by the Portland Trailblazers. The Portland Trailblazers have taken Damian Lillard's greatness for granted, and the Portland Trailblazers, to me, are wasting away Damian Lillard's greatness for all the reasons that I mentioned. It's a very sad story. Let's transition to the Phoenix Suns. So the Phoenix Suns are officially back in the playoffs and for the first time in over 10 years. Okay, They are a playoff team this year in 2021. They're the number two seed in the Western Conference with a 51-21 and 21 record. They're the number two seed. And they currently are going against the defending NBA Finals champion, Los Angeles Lakers, led by LeBron James. And currently the Suns do have a one-game lead on the Los Angeles Lakers. I do believe that series has a chance to go seven games. I think that's pretty much a coin flip, you know, depending on who's going to win that series, okay? But whether the Phoenix Suns win that series or not, the good news is the Phoenix Suns are back on the map. I have I have to give a whole lot of credit to their coaching staff and the organization as well. The organization has drafted a lot of good players. Those players have developed under the current coaching staff. And Phoenix even went out and got a guy like a guy, a guy like Chris Paul this past season. You know that's the right way to do things. You know you find the right head coach. You know the organization drafts players well. Those players get developed under the culture that the coach establishes, and then sometimes you just got to go out there and make a move for a star player. That star right now is Chris Paul, and I got to say, I have a lot of respect for Monty Williams, the current Phoenix Suns head coach, because the first year, Monty Williams kind of came in and sort of, you know, established his culture with the Phoenix Suns, and this year, they've taken a huge leap, and now the Phoenix Suns are a legitimate playoff team. And a big reason why is because of the offseason addition of Chris Paul. Look, the Phoenix Suns have more than exceeded my expectations, okay? And the theme you see with Chris Paul is, you know, wherever he goes, that team starts to win, and they start to win very quickly. When he was in New Orleans several seasons ago, they won games at a much higher rate than they did the previous couple of years before he got there. He took over, you know, a franchise with the Clippers that had a losing mentality and led them to the playoffs for a good stretch of time for the for a, for a good three to four years. You know, obviously they didn't win a championship, but Chris Paul really helped turn the Clippers organization around. 
in Houston, they get to a conference finals and nearly beat the Kevin Durant-led Golden State Warriors with Chris Paul and James Harden. Obviously, some injuries derailed things for them, but he was successful in Houston, Oklahoma City. No one thought the Oklahoma City Thunder had a chance to make the playoffs last year with Chris Paul leading that team. But Chris Paul found a way in a loaded Western Conference to get Oklahoma City to the playoffs. And now in Phoenix, he's doing really good things. This year, Chris Paul is averaging 16 points per game, shooting nearly 50% from the field, 39% from three. He's still averaging nearly 10 assists per game. He's at nine assists this year. And Chris Paul is 36 years old. So we talk about how LeBron James is still dominating in in his age 36 season. We got to give the same flowers to Chris Paul, people. And Devin Booker is a guy we need to talk about. Because Devin Booker is one of the most natural scorers the game of basketball has to offer right now. And Devin Booker, Ever since his rookie year, where he averaged 13.8 points per game, since then, he's averaged 22 points per game, 24.9 points per game, 26.6 points per game, 26.6 points per game, and 25.6 points per game this year. This year, he's doing it on a winning team, so now the narrative that Devin Booker can't be on a winning team, that's out the door. And the thing you need to know about Devin Booker is, He is still only 24 years old. And in his first ever playoff game on the same court with LeBron James and Anthony Davis and Chris Paul, his own teammate, he was by far and away the best player on the court, and it wasn't even close. We have not even seen the best version of Devin Booker yet. He has an immense amount of potential. He's still learning the game of basketball, and he's still getting better and better, and I think he's going to score a lot of points, and he has a bright future in the NBA. Not to mention DeAndre Ayton, former number one overall pick, was shooting 62% from the field this year. I don't think DeAndre Ayton quite has lived up to the hype that he received coming out of Arizona, but he's a very solid player. He's a very good center in today's NBA. Mikel Bridges is pretty good. You got guys like Jay Crowder, you know, um, Cameron Johnson on this roster. The Phoenix Suns have put together, the organization at least, has put together a really solid roster, and the Phoenix Suns, once again, are back on the map, and it's very exciting to see um, no doubt about it. So, I now want to present to you guys who I believe should be the winner of the 2021 NBA MVP award. I believe that player, the guy that should win the 2021 NBA MVP, I believe Nikola Jokic deserves the award. The Center for the Denver Nuggets, Nikola Jokic. Okay, he's a he's sort of a higher bridge, you know, power forward slash center. He's a big man, you know. But bottom line, Nikola Jokic will get my vote. Now, like I said, there's not a slam dunk winner this year because LeBron's been hurt, Durant's been hurt, Harden's been hurt, Joel Embiid's been hurt. Steph Curry led his team, you know, to the eighth seed and didn't even make the playoffs this year due to his his team's shortcomings in the in the playing tournament. Chris Paul really doesn't have the counting stats. But I will say this about Nikola Jokic, and this is the biggest reason why I believe Nikola Jokic should win this award this year. He has the most well-rounded resume 
out of all the NBA MVP candidates in 2021. In order to win the MVP award, you need to you need to check off a couple of boxes, okay? The first box is, did you play a significant amount of games? Were you available night in and night out for your team? Nikola Jokic checks that box off. He played all 72 games this year. So you can check that off, okay? Also, is your team winning games? A big reason why Steph Curry is not going to win the MVP award this year is because, well, the Golden State Warriors missed the playoffs, okay? Nikola Jokic led the Denver Nuggets to the number three seed in the Western Conference, and they won 47 games. And Nikola Jokic is by far and away their best player, okay? That's not even, you know, up for debate, okay? So he won games. He checks that box off. And also, how's your supporting cast? You know, do you have the greatest supporting cast? Are you elevating your team? Well, I can point to the fact that Jamal Murray missed a significant amount of time this year due to injury. And Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets, they didn't miss a beat. They really didn't. Nikola Jokic elevated his game in the absence of Jamal Murray, who is their second best player right now at the time. I know Michael Porter Jr. is really good, but I think Jamal Murray is a better player at least right now today. Okay? And if you look at Nikola Jokic's numbers, that's the last final point you have to check off. Do you have good enough numbers? I'm sorry, Chris Paul. You're a great candidate for MVP this year, but you don't, have, you don't quite have the statistical evidence to show that you're the MVP. Nikola Jokic has more than enough evidence stats-wise to show that he's the MVP. Okay, he's averaging 26.4 points per game this year, 10.8 rebounds, 8.3 assists, not to mention he shot 56% from the field and 38.8% from three. And Nikola Jokic this year led the Nuggets in points, in rebounds, assists, and steals. He was also number one in the NBA in PER, which is pretty much like the passer rating of the of the NBA. You know, you look at, you know, each year in the NFL, you know, you look at passer rating. Usually Aaron Rodgers leads the, you know, NFL and passer rating every single year. That's a big reason why he's won multiple MVP awards because when you look at the advanced numbers and the advanced analytics, the advanced analytics usually point to, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, and things like that. Well, this year, the PER analytics show that that Nikola Jokic should be that guy. Not to mention, um, Jamal Murray is a good player, but he missed a significant amount of time due to injury, like I said. Michael Porter Jr. is pretty good, but not a superstar player, at least yet. Will Barton is a decent player, but nothing to sneeze at. Gary Harris, same thing with him. Austin Rivers, same thing with him. And Aaron Gordon, he's a nice... Uh, additional piece to the puzzle, but he's not scaring defenses when he, you know, touches the court. Nikola Jokic has elevated a roster that has a lot of solid players, but not a lot of great players. He's elevated this team to a top three seed in the Western Conference playoffs. Nikola Jokic has the numbers. 
He's he's played a good amount of he's played all 72 games. He's won a lot of those games. He's elevated this team in the absence of Jamal Murray. He's he leads the entire NBA in PER. Nikola Jokic has the most well-rounded resume out of all the MVP candidates this year. I believe Nikola Jokic should win the 2021 NBA MVP award for all the reasons that I mentioned. I do believe he will actually win that award. And I think this is the start to Nikola Jokic really taking off as a player from this point going forward. So, the Charlotte Hornets season ended during the play-in tournament in 2021. However, I will say, even though the Charlotte Hornets did not make the playoffs this year, the 2021 season was still a huge success for the Charlotte Hornets. And the 2021 NBA season will forever be remembered for LaMelo Ball stepping onto the scene. LaMelo Ball has been the star that the Charlotte Hornets have been starving for for a very, very, very long time. I believe the owner of the team, that guy being Michael Jordan, who's arguably the greatest basketball player of all time, we could talk about his, you know, we could evaluate him as a general manager or owner and things like that, but we can, we have to admit, it looks like he got this one right. It looks like the Charlotte Hornets have finally found their franchise-changing star player that they have been so desperately looking for. Okay, LaMelo Ball was the third overall pick in the 2020 NBA draft. He was drafted after Anthony Edwards. And James Wiseman, then came LaMelo Ball. Anthony Edwards went to the Timberwolves. James Wiseman went to the Golden State Warriors. LaMelo Ball, he lands with the Charlotte Hornets. And LaMelo Ball is only 19 years old. He's six foot six, weighs about 180 pounds. I do believe that he can add some weight to his sort of slender frame. Now, there are some people out there that believe LaMelo Ball is around six foot eight. You know, six feet, eight inches tall. But NBA players lie about their height all the time. So I don't know what to believe. But LaMelo Ball is bigger than your traditional point guard in today's game, okay? And LaMelo Ball really showcased how good his basketball IQ and feel for the game is this season, okay? He is a naturally very good passer, that sees the court very well, especially by rookie standards, okay? And he's going to continue to get better and better in that regard, okay? And coming into the NBA, LaMelo Ball had questions about his jump shot. I think he answered a lot of those questions this year, okay? He's shown the ability to be an effective three-point shooter this year, and he showed the ability to create his own shot consistently. And I think that's what you look for in these guys, you know? Can this guy hit an open three? Can he create his own shot? You know, can he not be a liability on offense as far as shooting the basketball? LaMelo Ball is not all the way there as a shooter, but I think he has a lot of potential, okay? And I think LaMelo Ball has the potential to take the Charlotte Hornets 
to the next level. And by the way, I didn't mention about his ability to score the basketball as well. LaMelo Ball, to me, does strike me as a guy that sometimes looks to pass first. But he, he is more than capable of being a guy that can score 20 to 25 points per game on any given night. I don't know if he's ever going to be a guy that consistently gives you 28 to 30 points per game on any given night just because his mentality is not always to score first. But the physical tools are definitely there. The size, the athletic ability, the basketball IQ. LaMelo Ball has all the potential in the world to be a legitimate NBA superstar. And Charlotte is a very small market. And the the reason why I bring that up is because if you're a small market, it's hard for you to attract free agents. But because LaMelo Ball has so much clout and so much star power, I believe he can get players to come play for the Charlotte Hornets. LaMelo Ball makes the Charlotte Hornets 10 times more attractive of a destination than they were a year ago, okay? He will attract players, and LaMelo Ball strikes me as a guy that can elevate the players within his locker room, okay? I really, truly only have two glaring questions about LaMelo Ball going forward. And by the way, if LaMelo Ball never gets any better as a player, he's still going to be a very successful NBA player that can be effective, potentially on a championship team, at least being a solid contributor. He's going to make a lot of money, okay? But I have two glaring concerns about LaMelo Ball going forward. I truly want to know how great does LaMelo Ball want to become? Is he obsessed with having success? Is he a true gym rat? Is he going to do everything in his power to maximize the God-given ability that he has? Because let's be real, people, the physical tools are there. But how much will a mellow ball maximize his skill set? Is he going to be a guy like Ben Simmons that has all the ability in the world, but for whatever reason doesn't tap into that potential? Or is he going to be a guy that works extremely hard and gets significantly better and reaches his ceiling? What's he going to be? Is he going to be in between? I want to find out. And also, this is the biggest thing right here because sometimes. Players just have a ceiling. You know, some players just aren't great shooters, and we hope, oh, this guy, we hope he can, be, he can become a great shooter, when in reality, he's probably never going to become a great shooter. You should just lower your expectations right here. But this is the one thing that LaMelo Ball truly can control, okay? Does LaMelo Ball, deep down, have a killer instinct? It, 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 let's be real, people. Either you have it or you don't. Now, it can be developed to a certain degree. You know, some players come into the NBA with not the, you know, best killer mentality, and they end up becoming alphas. But that habit at times is hard to break, or I should say that's it's hard to break into that habit, you know. I want to know how hungry LaMelo Ball is. And if he has that it factor, that killer instinct that when it's the fourth quarter, he's a guy that's willing to take over. Is he a guy that's willing to defend 
the best player on the opposing team, night in and night out. How much of a killer instinct does LaMelo Ball have? Because, listen, people, the guys that have the killer instincts, like the Kevin Durant, like the Michael Jordans, like the Kobe Bryants, even at times the LeBron James, those are the guys that are the most successful in the NBA. A lot of people have knocked LaMelo Ball from coming from a rich family and a rich background where he was spoon-fed. I'm not one of those people that did that. However, I want to see if LaMelo Ball truly has that dog mentality in him because there are some players out there that I know for a fact has it. I know for a fact John Moran has that. I know for a fact Anthony Edwards has that. We'll get to Anthony Edwards later on in the show very shortly. But yeah, man, I want to see if LaMelo Ball truly has that it factor and that ability to really just take it to the next level and to have that killer instinct to really just take over playoff games and to really be a guy that his teammates look to every single night to say, yeah, we're in the foxhole with LaMelo Ball and we're good because LaMelo Ball is in our foxhole. He's going to be that alpha that leads us to victory time in and time out. So. That is what I want to know about LaMelo Ball going forward. However, I do believe he has a bright future in the NBA, and only time will tell as far as how good he can become. Okay, everyone, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, I will talk about Anthony Edwards and the Minnesota Timberwolves. Is Anthony Edwards potentially a guy that could end up having a better career than LaMelo Ball? Is he a future NBA superstar? We'll talk about it. We'll talk about also Kawhi Leonard. Um, There's a lot of great things I'm going to talk about later on in the show, but don't go anywhere, people. I'm going to take a short break. It is Jemai McKinney, and you are tuned into the Juice Alert. Okay, I am back. I now want to talk about Anthony Edwards, as I promised you guys, you know, when I went to break. So Anthony Edwards was the number one overall pick of the 2020 NBA draft. He obviously got drafted by the Minnesota Timberwolves, and I was a fan of that pick. I endorsed the Minnesota Timberwolves before that draft to go out there and get Anthony Edwards. That's the guy I felt they should have gotten, and that's and I was a fan of the pick, like I said. And well, you don't know if you don't know Anthony Edwards. Like I said, he was drafted before guys like James Wiseman, Lamelo Ball, who went number three overall, Tyrese Halliburton went number twelve overall to the Kings. He's kind of flown under the radar, but I want to focus in on Anthony Edwards. You know, um, I want to discuss how his rookie year played out and if Anthony Edwards was truly worth the number one overall pick. Now, obviously, we won't know the answer to that question, you know, until the next three to four, maybe five years. Once we, you know, get five to six more seasons of information and data and watch Anthony Edwards more closely and LaMelo Ball more closely and this whole rookie class more closely, we'll have the answers to our question. But I will say... You know, because LaMelo Ball has such an incredible start to his rookie season 
and everyone was so enamored with him, and, and rightfully so. Lamella Ball had a great rookie season before getting injured, then obviously returning and you know still playing very well. But he had a good rookie season. But a lot of people were quick to write Anthony Edwards off this year after a very slow start. You know, the first 30 games or so, he wasn't playing up to expectations. He was taking bad shots. He didn't seem fully engaged with the offense. And he just didn't look like the guy that we thought was going to be the guy that we projected him to be with the number one overall pick. He got to a very slow start. Wasn't all that efficient from the field. But I will say, based on the, the totality of Anthony Edwards' rookie season, if you're a Minnesota Timberwolves fan or an Anthony Edwards fan, I think you should definitely be encouraged by what Anthony Edwards presented to the table his rookie year if you take into account the whole totality of the season. And so far, I believe Anthony Edwards was worth the no more overall pick. Even if LaMelo Ball ends up being better than Anthony Edwards, who's to say that he can't be the quote-unquote Hakeem Olajuwon of his draft class, you know? Everyone talks about Michael Jordan and how he's the greatest basketball player of all time, but while the Houston Rockets probably would have liked to have gotten their hands on Michael Jordan, they're not upset that they got their hands on Hakeem Olajuwon, and that's kind of how I feel about Anthony Edwards, you know? Even if LaMelo Ball ends up being a better player than Anthony Edwards, I think when it's all said and done, we're still going to look back on Anthony Edwards' career and say, that guy was a heck of a basketball player. I think Anthony Edwards has a lot of potential. We saw significant growth from Anthony Edwards during his rookie season. And I will not be shocked for one second if Anthony Edwards ends up becoming better than LaMelo Ball. And to be quite honest with you, I'm sticking to my initial evaluation. I liked LaMelo Ball when he was, when he was entering the NFL draft during the pre-draft process. But I liked Anthony Edwards a little bit more. And right now to this day, I think when it's all said and done, we're going to look back and say Anthony Edwards was the more gifted and more talented basketball player. I believe he's going to end up being better than LaMelo Ball if he plays his cards right now. We'll see if the Minnesota Timberwolves end up holding Anthony Edwards back because they're an historically dysfunctional franchise to a certain degree. But the bottom line is I think you should definitely be encouraged based on what you've seen from Anthony Edwards, okay? He got significantly better throughout the season. You know, his shots started to fall after the first 30 games. I think it was really 30 games in where he really started to get comfortable. You know, the first 30 games, like I said, he wasn't all that great. But especially after the All-Star break, he was consistently putting up 20 to 30 points on, on each given night, okay? And... I think Timberwolves fans should be encouraged. Anthony Edwards, for his rookie season, he averaged 19.3 points per game, 4.7 rebounds, 2.9 assists, and he shot 41.7% from the field. And you can say, well, that's not knocking your socks off. But based on where Anthony Edwards was to start the year, that's a drastic improvement. He also shot 33% from the field from three-point range, which actually isn't that bad for a rookie. We saw... A 42-point game versus the Memphis Grizzlies and the New Orleans Pelicans. And the thing you have to realize about Anthony Edwards is this. He is still only 19 years old. Keep in mind, people, Kobe Bryant, his rookie season, he averaged 7.6 points per game. Russell Westbrook, during his rookie season, 
averaged 15.3 points per game. Giannis Antetokounmpo, 6.8. Nikola Jokic only averaged 10. Kawhi Leonard, 7.9 points per game. Anthony Edwards averaged 19 points per game as a rookie. He's a very natural scorer with the ability to consistently put the ball in the basket. I think he's really aggressive. He has that aggressive mentality. He has that he has that it factor and he has that killer instinct, okay? I believe Anthony Edwards was more than worth that first overall pick. He has superstar level potential. He's about 6 foot 4, maybe 6 foot 5 depending on who you ask, about 230 pounds. Like I said, he's a natural scorer and he he's willing to defend at a high level. Okay, I've seen Anthony Edwards show the ability to defend at a high level this year. He still has some things that he needs to learn on the defensive end of the floor, but the potential of Anthony Edwards is really off the charts. I think he can definitely improve as a playmaker and a shot creator, but overall, the tools are there for Anthony Edwards. So, was Anthony Edwards worth the first overall pick? Absolutely. And should the Timberwolves regret that pick today? No, they should not. Based on Anthony Edwards' progress and based on the totality of his rookie season, I'm a believer in Anthony Edwards, and I think Anthony Edwards has a bright future in the NBA, and I believe he was worth the first overall pick of the 2020 NBA draft based on what we know so far. Okay, so I now want to circle back to Kevin Durant, who currently plays for the Brooklyn Nets. Now, as you all know, Kevin Durant won two NBA Finals MVPs with the Golden State Warriors. And there's this belief among a, a large majority of NBA fans that Kevin Durant's rings are fake. And that is simply not true, at least in my opinion. Let me tell you something right now. There is no such thing as a fake ring, okay? No such thing. There takes a certain commitment to excellence to winning a championship. There's a certain grind in the playoffs and in the regular season, okay? And the playoffs are a whole new animal than the regular season. The physicality, you know, the officials, you know, you don't get certain calls in the playoffs. And in reality, you have to beat a team four times in a best-of-seven series, okay? It's not like the NFL playoffs where... You face a team one time, and then, boom, you're out of there. I'm sorry, but I don't think very many teams would have beaten the New England Patriots four times in a best-of-seven series back when Tom Brady and Bill Belichick were together. That's just my opinion, though, okay? The truth of the matter is this. The Golden State Warriors became a dynasty because of Kevin Durant. They were not a dynasty before Kevin Durant got there. It looked like they potentially could have been a dynasty, you know, they won the NBA Finals, you know, back in 2015. Now, granted, LeBron James didn't have any help in that series. Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love got injured. But what do you know, the very next year, when LeBron James has a healthy squad, the Golden State Warriors choke in the NBA Finals, okay? And Golden State could have ran it back and returned the same team that they returned the previous year. But no, you know what Golden State thought to themselves, they thought, man, this Cleveland Cavaliers team is really good. We're in trouble. We need Kevin Durant. Draymond Green was reportedly calling Kevin Durant 
Hours after the Golden State Warriors lost in the NBA Finals, it was reportedly that he was calling Kevin Durant in the parking lot, begging Kevin Durant and recruiting Kevin Durant to come play for Golden State. And obviously, Steph Curry had no problem with Draymond Green recruiting Kevin Durant because Steph Curry could have very easily said, nah, we're good. But no, Steph Curry invited Kevin Durant on board. And there was a theme with the Golden State Warriors before they got Kevin Durant. They had a great system that was put in place by Steve Kerr where the team was shooting threes and things like that. And they were fun. They were magical. They were a finesse team that was doing good things. But the deeper and deeper the Warriors got into the playoffs, the more that system got thrown out the window because a system can only take you so far. But eventually... You're going to face some long, lengthy defensive teams that can get physical with you. And the three ball, sometimes it's not going to work for you in the finals versus a LeBron James, you know, and things like that when the when the Cleveland Cavaliers decide to play real defense. That system got exposed in the NBA Finals. But when you have Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant is an exception to the rule and improves any system. Okay, because Kevin Durant, he's arguably the best one-on-one player in the entire NBA. If you just isolate Kevin Durant, more times than not, it's an automatic bucket. Okay, and Kevin Durant, he made the Golden State Warriors unbeatable. The first year he got there, the Golden State Warriors went 16-1 and in the playoffs. 16-1. and 16 wins, one loss. I mean, Kevin Durant, there's something to be said for him being the driving force for the team and him making the Golden State Warriors an all-time great team that was an unstoppable force of nature at times. And not to mention, Kevin Durant was the NBA Finals MVP. Had he have ridden Steph Curry and Klay Thompson's coattails and been out there averaging 18 or 17 points per game, then you might have an argument. But no, Kevin Durant was the guy the Golden State Warriors called on when it mattered most in in crisis. When things got tough, you know who they relied on? It wasn't Steph Curry. It wasn't Klay Thompson. It sure as heck wasn't no Draymond Green. It was Kevin Durant. And the first NBA Finals the Golden State Warriors got to, Kevin Durant averaged 35 points per game, had eight rebounds and five assists, and shot 55.6% from the field. Okay, he vastly outplayed LeBron James. It wasn't even close. He does the same thing the very next year, averaging 29 points per game, nearly 11 rebounds and 7.5 assists. Had a triple-double in the closeout game in the closeout game in which the Golden State Warriors swept LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers, okay? And by the way, Kevin Durant would have won three straight NBA Finals MVPs had he have not gotten injured in the Toronto Raptors series. The Golden State Warriors very well could have three-peated if Kevin Durant had stayed healthy, okay? And in the NBA Finals, in back-to-back game threes, in back-to-back seasons, Le- Kevin Durant hit the shot of shots in LeBron James' face the first time and in J.R. Smith's face the second time in LeBron's own building in Cleveland, to clinch the series, okay? He hit the clutch shots. He took the big shots. And he was the best player 
on that team. And I don't want to hear that, oh, Steph Curry was the most important player. No, he wasn't. Because if he was the most important player, you wouldn't have went out and got, and got Kevin Durant. Okay? And by the way, if everyone out there is calling LeBron James an undisputed top five player of all time and is putting him in the GOAT conversation, doesn't that say a lot about Kevin Durant? The fact that he outplayed the guy that you were putting that a lot of, a lot of people in the media are putting in the GOAT conversation. Kevin Durant was the best player on an all-time great team. He's one of 12 players to have won multiple NBA Finals MVPs. Only Michael Jordan, Tim Duncan, LeBron James, Magic Johnson, and Shaquille O'Neal, a.k.a. Shaq, have more NBA Finals MVPs than Kevin Durant. And what have the Golden State Warriors done since Kevin Durant left them? Oh, let's see here. They couldn't win the NBA Finals when he got injured. Everyone talked about, oh, the Golden State Warriors, they might be a better team without Kevin Durant. No, if Kevin Durant played in that Toronto Raptors series, the Golden State Warriors would have won that series easily, okay? But Golden State without Kevin Durant, they couldn't hang with Kawhi Leonard and the crew. The very next year, without Kevin Durant, the Golden State Warriors missed the playoffs. And this year, the Golden State Warriors missed the playoffs once again without Kevin Durant. So. I just cringe every time I hear that, oh, Kevin Durant's rings are fake. You know, he's not an NBA champion. He's a cupcake. All those um, arguments to me are just silly. And I think a lot of people are knocking Kevin Durant for going to a much better company and working with much better employees. I'm sorry, but Russell Westbrook has not proven that he can do anything on his own. He has not proven he can be a winning player in the playoffs consistently as the point guard. Obviously, they got to the NBA Finals in Oklahoma City you know, a couple of years ago, but weirdly enough, the fact that Russell Westbrook got better as a player and demanded more of the offense to be ran, ran through him and the fact that Oklahoma City coddled Russell Westbrook and not Kevin Durant, that was one of the ultimate downfalls for Kevin Durant deciding to leave Oklahoma City. and. It's just one of those things where Kevin Durant really had nothing else to prove other than, other than he can be an NBA champion. Because in Oklahoma City, he was a league MVP. He had previously led them to, to an NBA Finals versus LeBron James, even when he was a puppy at age 23 years old. I mean, Kevin Durant had nothing really left to prove other than if he could become the best player on a championship team. He answered that in Golden State, and Kevin Durant's rings are not fake by any stretch of the matter. So, I want to now shift to the Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Nets obviously traded for James Harden this year, and when the trade happened, there were a lot of strong opinions from a lot of different people. A lot of people said, man, James Harden on the Brooklyn Nets with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving? Man, this is going to work. The Nets have unbelievable firepower. And I even said, when it happened, this guarantees that the Brooklyn Nets are going to win a championship. Even before they acquired James Harden, I said the Brooklyn Nets were going to win a championship in the Kevin Durant era. And 
there is no reason for me to think otherwise when they acquired James Harden. I think that they, I think they are definitely going to win a championship now. Whether it's this year or next year, we'll see. I think it, I think it's very likely that they win in the first year with with James Harden and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving teamed up. Even though there is a lack of chemistry, but you know that's beside the point. There were also a lot of people that gave this trade major pushback. A lot of people said, oh, oh, bad move, bad move. There's only one basketball. There are too many egos on this team. James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant, they're not going to be able to sacrifice. There's only one basketball. The Nets lost all their depth in the trade. This isn't going to work. And so far, James Harden is proving all of his doubters wrong. Um, When James Harden was healthy during the regular season for the Brooklyn Nets, they looked like the best team in all basketball. And you saw in Game 1 versus Boston in the playoffs, when the Brooklyn Nets decided to, to flip a switch, they were unstoppable, okay? James Harden was in the MVP conversation earlier in the season before he got injured. He was carrying Brooklyn when Kevin Durant got injured and Kyrie Irving missed games. He was helping Steve Nash, a first-year head coach. James Harden has shown the ability to sacrifice, play winning basketball. He's running a very efficient offense in Golden State. He's he's been he's been really a remarkable playmaker and point guard for this Brooklyn Nets team, okay? And things just automatically clicked once James Harden got there, okay? And he's even playing really good defense. And the thing that people need to realize is this. In the NBA, you need stars to win championships. I don't care about the Karis Leverts of the world. I don't care about the Spencer Dinwiddies of the world, even though Spencer Dinwiddie is still on the team, even though he's hurt. You know, I don't care about these role players. Obviously, there's a place for them in the NBA, and you need a little bit of depth to win championships. Obviously, Andre Iguodala was a huge part to the Golden State Warriors winning, winning championships. But I will take star players over role players any day of the week. I ain't even thinking twice about it, okay? People, teams with the Kobe Bryants, the Shaqs, the Kevin Durant, and LeBron James of the world, the Michael Jordans of the world on their team, those are the teams that win championships. And I have no problem with what Brooklyn did in this trade. I actually think James Harden has clicked even better than I thought he would. I thought it was going to work, but it's working a lot better than I thought. So James Harden, he's playing at an MVP level for the Brooklyn Nets. And so far, so good for the Brooklyn Nets and James Harden. James Harden has proven to be a perfect fit for the Brooklyn Nets. And now, with Kevin Durant being healthy and the rest of the squad being healthy heading into the playoffs, Brooklyn has a real chance to wreak havoc in the NBA playoffs going forward. They potentially could be a dynasty going forward, but only time will tell. And you know... Let me just say this. James Harden is one of the most disrespected players in NBA history, okay? And I think a lot of people now are starting to appreciate James Harden now that he's in Brooklyn. You know, it's pretty crazy. 
I really don't think a lot of people were were watching Houston Rockets games very closely when James Harden was on the team, even though that team was in the championship picture over the past couple of seasons, you know. Um, but here's the things you hear about James Harden often, that he's lazy, often out of shape, he's selfish, can't play winning basketball, he's a horrible defender, he's an overrated player, he's a choker when it matters most in the playoffs. These are things that are being said slash have been said about James Harden in the past. Now, a lot of it is fool's gold to me. James Harden is a victim of a lot of false narratives. And today I'm going to bring some objective facts and opinions and debunk a lot of these arguments, okay? First of all, what you need what you need to know about James Harden is he led the Houston Rockets to the playoffs for seven straight years. And they got the two conference finals. Now, in his eighth season with the team, he obviously wanted out because he saw writing on the wall and he wanted to get traded to Brooklyn. I have no problem with that. But when James Harden first got to Houston, the previous three seasons, they were a non-playoff team. And James Harden, he instantly in year number one made the Houston Rockets a viable playoff team in a very tough Western Conference. And this year, the Houston Rockets, ironically, without James Harden, you know what they're doing? They're stinking. They suck. They're awful. They have what they have the worst record in all basketball this year without James Harden, okay? We you can really tell how valuable a player is when you see the impact of them when they leave the building. There's a LeBron James quality here with James Harden where in the past LeBron James would leave the Cleveland Cavaliers and the minute he leaves they look like the worst team in all basketball. That's the same thing that happened with the Houston Rockets. James Harden leaves, they're the worst team in all basketball. So they went from a playoff team the previous two seasons to the worst team in all basketball overnight when James Harden left. And seven straight years, they were a playoff team. Four of those seasons, they won 50 games. And it's very funny how we make excuses for the fact that Steph Curry this year missed the playoffs. Steph Curry couldn't even win 40 games this year, okay? And yet we bash James Harden for consistently carrying the Houston Rockets to the playoffs and consistently consistently winning 50 games a year. People can say, oh, well, Steph Curry had no help. Draymond Green is old and washed. He had no Klay Thompson. Klay Thompson was hurt. He had no help. Folks, James Harden didn't always have the most help in Houston either. In 2013, James Harden led the Houston Rockets to the playoffs. You know, you know who was in that starting lineup? Chandler Parsons, Francisco Garcia, Patrick Beverly, and Omir Oski. Those were the four players that were on James Harden's side in that starting lineup. And he won 45 games with that starting five in a loaded Western Conference. And we're, we're going to make excuses for Steph Curry, who has Andrew Wiggins and Draymond Green, James Wiseman, and a really good head coach of Steve Kerr, and he can't lead his team to the playoffs. I understand that Steph Curry has gotten the better of James Harden in the playoffs, but at some point, we need to talk about the fact that Steph Curry can't carry a team and James Harden can carry a bunch of scrubs to the playoffs in a loaded Western Conference. Steph Curry can't. He proved that this year, okay? And 
Do you all also remember in 2018 where Chris Paul missed 24 games and Eric Gordon missed 14 games and Clint Capella missed 15 games? And James Harden still led the Rockets to over 50 wins that season. That year, James Harden should have won the league MVP. I know he won the MVP back in 2018. But that year, James Harden put up historical scoring numbers. He should have won the league MVP that year. It was laughable that they gave the MVP to Giannis. I was in support of Giannis getting the MVP this past year. But the year that Giannis, that Giannis won his first MVP... I was not in support because James Harden was clearly and by far away the best player. And James Harden never consistently always had an all-time great player by his side in Houston. Sure, he had Dwight Howard and sure, he had Chris Paul. You know, even though, you know, Chris Paul had never been to a conference finals until he met James Harden. Okay, James Harden had been to a conference finals before Chris Paul, before Chris Paul got there. Okay, just to, I just want to point that out. You know... James Harden did have Russell Westbrook for one season, but that was kind of a one-year experiment, and it was actually working. The Rockets just happened to to run into a very good Los Angeles Lakers team, and when it comes to the coaching, everyone talks about how LeBron James has never had a great head coach, even though they, they failed to look at guys like Frank Vogel and Eric Spolster and give them their credit, but... Has Mike D'Antoni been a great head coach for the Houston Rockets? Kevin McHale, is he knocking your socks off? James Harden's never had an elite head coach by his side. Even back in Oklahoma City when he was the sixth man, I was not a huge Scott Brooks fan. The Rockets have been in the championship picture the last six years or so, two conference finals appearance. And what's the one team over the past couple of years recently that actually challenged the Kevin Durant-led Golden State Warriors, a team that pretty much was virtually unbeatable year in and year out. The Houston Rockets, led by James Harden, gave that team fits. James Harden pushed the Houston Rockets to a seven-game series with the Kevin Durant-led Golden State Warriors. Without Chris Paul in Game 7, okay, and Chris Paul got injured in Game 6 as well, and a lot of people actually think that if Chris Paul was available to was available to play in Game Seven, the Golden State Warriors might not have won the championship that year. We might have been talking about James Harden maybe taking over and being the best player in all basketball because I believe he would have beaten LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers that year because Houston they were a loaded squad. And then the very next year, James Harden pushed the Kevin Durant led Golden State Warriors to six games once again. Are we not going to point out the fact that James Harden pushed the Golden State Warriors to seven games and six games the next year? And meanwhile, LeBron James in two straight NBA Finals could only win one game versus that Golden State Warriors team? And let's not act like LeBron James didn't have help. He had Kyrie Irving. He had Kevin Love. He had a really good bench. Okay? I think that I think the Cleveland Cavaliers teams that LeBron James rolled into the finals with were actually more talented than the team that James Harden had with the Houston Rockets. Maybe not the second time when LeBron James got swept in the NBA Finals, but you know the talent was not the the gap. The point I'm trying to make is LeBron had help, and he could not figure out the Golden State Warriors once they added Kevin Durant. But James Harden, he pushed that team to the limit. 
everyone talks about how James Harden is this choker. You know, listen, James Harden is not a choker. Just because James Harden can't beat an all-time great Warriors team led by Kevin Durant, who might go down as a top 10 player of all time, we shouldn't bash the guy, okay? Because in those playoffs versus Golden State, he averaged 29 points per game the first time, six assists and five rebounds. In the second round of the playoffs versus Golden State in 2019, he averaged 35 points per game, five assists and seven rebounds. So we're knocking James Harden for putting up 30 points per game versus this all-time great Warriors team, and we're knocking him for losing to an all-time great team, but yet we make excuses for LeBron James because uh, apparently he doesn't have enough help, and yet we make excuses for Steph Curry because he can't lead his team to the playoffs, but yet when James Harden does, we bash the guy. I don't get it. And it's interesting also how we praised Kawhi Leonard for his efforts versus the Golden State Warriors in the NBA Finals. But the truth of the matter is that the only reason why Kawhi Leonard got credit was because he won that series. Now, I understand. Winning changes everything. If James Harden would have won his series, then he probably would have got a whole lot of praise. But I just want to put some things in context right here. I do have a graph from an Instagram page. It is called Ball Don't, Ball Don't Stop. I believe that's what it's called. I'll put the link in the description of this episode right here. where, But I found the graphic on Instagram from the Ball Don't Stop Instagram page, and it shows how James Harden and Kawhi Leonard's numbers versus Golden State were eerily similar in 2019. James Harden actually averaged more points per game, had more assists, and shot better from the field than Kawhi Leonard did versus Golden State. But because... James Harden didn't have the support that Kawhi Leonard had. His team couldn't get over the hump, and they couldn't win that series. And keep in mind, Kawhi Leonard didn't have to go through Kevin Durant because Kevin Durant was hurt in the NBA Finals. So we praise Kawhi Leonard for his heroic performance in the Finals versus the injured Warriors team, but yet we give James Harden no credit for pushing the Warriors to the limit when he had to actually face a healthy Kevin Durant-led Warriors team for the most part. James Harden is not a playoff choker. I understand there are moments in the playoffs in the past where James Harden in 2017, he had 10 points and shot 2 for 11 from the field in a closeout game versus the Spurs, and Kawhi Leonard did not play, and that game was at home. I understand that game exists. I understand that Kevin Durant did get injured in 2019, and he had a chance to close out that series, James Harden did, and he could not do it. But I don't think those shortcomings are enough to call James Harden a choker, okay? Because he's challenged the Golden State Warriors more so than any team this decade when Kevin Durant was healthy, okay? And James Harden is undisputedly a top five player in the NBA right now. And that should not, not be up for debate. You know, we put players like Giannis over James Harden at times. Are you kidding me? Giannis over James Harden? James Harden is far and away the better player. What has Giannis done in the playoffs that's been so special? We talk about James Harden choking. Well, Giannis after the Kupo in five years only has three playoff series wins. He's come up just as small, if not as if not much more smaller than James Harden in the playoffs. And by the way, in 2018, like I said, James Harden 
was robbed of MVP. It should not have gone to Giannis. It should have gone to James Harden, who had a better season on a worse team. We talk about Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis, he can't carry a team like James Harden. When has Anthony Davis ever consistently been in the MVP conversation? James Harden has won an MVP and has been top two or three in the MVP conversation really for the past five years. AD also can't stay healthy. James Harden has been one of the most durable players in the NBA since he's entered the league. It was only this past season where he suffered a major injury. Luka Doncic is great, but he hasn't even won a playoff series yet. So let's pump the brakes, people. You know, I will say, Kawhi Leonard and James Harden, there's an argument to be made that Kawhi Leonard is better than James Harden. However, I will say, I think Kawhi Leonard throughout his career has benefited from being on much better teams than James Harden and has often been asked to do much less than James Harden. James Harden has been asked to be the heart and soul of the Houston Rockets, you know, the leader, the alpha of the team. Kawhi Leonard was not asked to do that in San Antonio, was not asked to do that in Toronto, okay? And we saw this past year with the Clippers, when it's been his team, his team has unfolded and unraveled and disappointed in the playoffs, okay? The only players in today's game right now that I am taking over James Harden is, in no particular order, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, and maybe Steph Curry. I'll give the slight edge to Steph Curry just because in the playoffs, Steph Curry has gotten the better of James Harden. But James Harden can carry a team to the playoffs when his team doesn't have a stacked roster. Steph Curry has not proven he can do that. I'm just saying, people, so I don't think the gap between Harden and Curry is very wide. When we talk about James Harden, we're talking about a guy that has a chance to go down as an all-time great player. He's already a nine-time All-Star. He's already been first-team All-NBA six times. Back in OKC, when he was coming off the bench, he was the sixth man of the year. He's a three-time scoring champion. There's an argument to be made that he's one of the five to ten greatest scorers to ever live. In fact, I definitely put him in my top ten as far as greatest scorers of all time. He's won a league MVP, and people talk about how, oh, James Harden's out of shape. He's fat. Yet they also failed to mention that James Harden over the past couple of years has been among the league leaders in minutes in the NBA and never misses games. Is one of the most durable players in the league. They talk about he's a, how he's a lousy defender. In when in fact, ever since he left OKC, he's improved every single year as a defender. He's a great post defender. And also, a couple of years ago, led the league in steals and deflections. He's not a bad defender anymore. He's not a great defender, but he's a solid, adequate defender at this point in his career. If you think James Harden's a bad defender, you haven't been watching the games close enough, at least over the past couple of years. They talk about how James Harden is selfish, but they also fail to realize that James Harden led the NBA in assists back in 2016. People talk about you know, how he can't pass the ball, how he's selfish and things like that. He's averaging nearly 10, he's averaging over 10 assists with the Brooklyn Nets. He's playing winning basketball. They talk about how he's a choker, but no one was going to beat the Golden State Warriors led by Kevin Durant. That's how great Kevin Durant is. So, I think James Harden is arguably one of the most disrespected players in NBA history. And I hope he, I, I so badly want James Harden 
to contribute to the Brooklyn Nets winning a championship this year because it would do a lot of things for his resume. I think that he deserves to win a championship because he's putting a lot of hard work. He's come a long way as a player. I do believe James Harden has been disrespected as a player so far throughout his career. He's one of the most disrespected players in NBA history. I now want to shift to John Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies. So John Morant has led the Memphis Grizzlies to their first playoff appearance in the last four years. They beat the San Antonio Spurs in the play-in tournament in the first game. Then they went on to beat the Golden State Warriors to clinch a spot in the playoffs. In that game, John Morant went for 35 points, 6 rebounds, and 6 assists. In that game, you saw him go toe-to-toe with Steph Curry and nail the shot that pretty much sealed the game with about five seconds left that put the Grizzlies up five points. And the the Memphis Grizzlies making the playoffs is sort of a loss for the NBA just because I know for a fact that that they that Adam Silver and the NBA won the Golden State Warriors in the playoffs. But quite frankly, I really don't care what Adam Silver wants because I'm excited, I'm excited that the, that the Grizzlies are are in the playoffs. In fact, they won their first playoff game this year versus the Utah Jazz. I don't quite see the Grizzlies. Let me just just say this. The Grizzlies have a chance to win this series, but if they don't win the series, it's not a disappointment. Because the Memphis Grizzlies, the thing you need to know about them is they're back on the map. And they're back on the map because of Ja... Morant. John Morant has helped elevate the Memphis Grizzlies and put them back on the map. And when John Morant was selected with the number two overall pick in his draft class, and by the way, that draft class had Zion Williamson in it. Zion Williamson went number one overall to the Pelicans. He's having a pretty good career so far, but when John Morant got selected by the Grizzlies, I knew for a fact that Memphis was getting a franchise-changing player. And Memphis is a smaller market than most, you know, markets out there. But the good thing about John Moran is this. He brings buzz, excitement, flashiness to a market that, quite frankly, needed some juice. He's super athletic. He's fun to watch. He sells jerseys. He sells tickets. He is exactly what the Memphis Grizzlies have needed from, have needed from a basketball standpoint and from a marketability standpoint over the past couple of years. Like I said, he brings tremendous juice to that franchise. And John Morant, to me, his biggest the biggest thing that I like about John Morant is that he has that it factor. Forget the athleticism. Forget the underrated passing ability. Forget how his jump shot has come a long way. Forget the fact that his teammates love him and that he elevates others around him. There's just a some there's just a certain aura about John Moran. There's a certain confidence that he has that other players in the league simply just don't have. And he's not afraid of the big moment. He has ice in his veins. And one day I could see John Moran being the best player on a championship team. And recently when asked by uh, the TNT crew, you know, um Charles Barkley, uh Ernie Johnson, and Shaquille O'Neal, they asked they asked John Morant straight up on national television, "Are you a top five point guard in the? Are, where do you rank yourself among point guards in the NBA?" John Morant said, "I'm at least top five. I like that 
confidence, okay? Because John Morant, you know, in order for you to be the best, you got to believe you're the best, okay? It's, it's much easier to be the best when you actually believe it yourself, okay? And the Grizzlies actually have built a very solid roster around John Morant and a very good coaching staff as well. But I want to talk about the roster. I mean, Dylan Brooks, he's a great defender. And he's really grown as a scorer and an offensive player this year. I think he's very, very underrated as a player overall. Jonas Valanciunas, he's tough. He rebounds. He's an underrated scorer down low. I mean, he he's a really good center that really no one talks about. You know, you got Jaron Jackson Jr., who, who did struggle with some injuries this year. Not going to lie, his stock definitely did take a hit a little bit this year. But Jaron Jackson Jr. has a lot of potential, especially on the defensive side of the basketball, okay? On the defensive end, I should say. Kyle Anderson, you know, Brandon Clark, Grayson Allen, even a guy like Justice Winslow, you know, on this roster. This Grizzlies team is really pretty deep, and they're doing some good things. I I like the pieces that they, they have put around John Morant. They will eventually need to get another, another star player around John Morant if, if if they're really serious about competing for a championship. But I like the direction the Grizzlies are going in. And John Morant has put the Memphis Grizzlies back on the map. You know, here's the thing. I've, thought, I've had this theory for a while now. I believe Russell Westbrook is playing in the wrong era. Okay, and weirdly enough, I think that if Russell Westbrook played in the 1970s or the 1980s or the 1990s or maybe even in the early 2000s, I think his greatness would be much more appreciated. Now, let me be very clear. Russell Westbrook has had a great career up to this point so far. Not quite an all-time great career, but a very good to great career so far. In his 11 years in the NBA, he's won a league MVP. He's a nine-time All-Star, a two-time scoring champion, and he's led the league in assists three times. And he just recently became the triple-double king where he passed Oscar Robertson for most triple-doubles all-time. And three of the last four seasons, Russell Westbrook, has averaged a triple-double. That is unprecedented and very impressive. But see, the things you hear about Russell Westbrook from, from his biggest critics, and some of these things are fair, some of, the th some of these things aren't fair, but the things you hear are he's a stat patter, he's selfish, not a great shooter. You know, back in, back in the 1980s, per se, there was no social media around to really magnify every little misstep that these players, you know, have. That's just the reality. And I really think that back in the 80s and the 90s, most fans, because they didn't have social media, or at least because social media really wasn't relevant at the time, a lot of people focused on what everyone's great at and what, what players were good at rather than what they can't do. And I think a lot of times we when we talk about Russell Westbrook, we talk about the things that he can't do, but we don't appreciate the things he can do enough. Okay, and everyone these days has a voice. You know, everyone out there, it seems like, has a podcast. Everyone has a Twitter account, Instagram account. 
If you want your opinion to be out there, it can be put out there. You can be heard if you want to be heard. Hey, I, I started a, I started a show right here, you know, and I, I feel like I, I feel like I've been heard across the world in ways that I probably wouldn't have been heard, you know, um, if I lived in the 1980s and didn't have a MacBook Pro or a camera or a iPhone 10 or whatever iPhone I have. I think I have an iPhone X. Not quite sure. But either way, I'm, I benefit from technology. And I just think that a lot of people magnify what Russ Westbrook can do rather than what he can do because everyone talks about how Russell Westbrook's a stat pattern because of the triple doubles. When in reality, his teams win 75% of the games that he gets a triple when he gets a triple double. Well, let me rephrase that. When Russell Westbrook gets a triple double, the team he's on usually wins about 75% of the games. That has been proven through statistics. Go look it up, people. Okay? And a long time ago, back in the 80s and the 90s, it was okay for you to be not a great shooter. It really was. A lot of a lot of players were flawed. The three ball was not a big incremented part in most offenses. But because of Steph Curry and these great three-point shooters and because of, you know, the great training everyone gets and because players are more skilled than ever, players like Russell Westbrook are, are going to get nitpicked for not being able to shoot. And the reality is Russell Westbrook, he relies a lot on his athletic ability and he's not the best shooter, okay? Doesn't always have, hasn't always had the best feel for the game. You know, I think that in the 80s and 90s, Russell Westbrook would really just plow through everyone and, and use his athletic ability. Where And he would be the most athletic player by far and away if he was born in the 70s and 80s and was dropped in that era of basketball. Okay, I should say when he was dropped in the era of basketball. Okay, that's what I meant. If he was dropped in the 70s, 80s, or 90s, he'd be easily, by far and away, the most explosive athlete on the court at all times. And right now, today, he pretty much is that guy on most nights. But now you have LeBron. You have Zion Williamson. You got Kevin Durant. You got these other physical specimens that are maybe not as athletic as Russ Westbrook, but they're pretty darn athletic. The gap in talent between each player in today's NBA is not wide at all. And I think Russell Westbrook, like I said, I think that he's playing in the wrong era. I think that if he was, if he played in the 70s and 80s or 90s, he would definitely be much more appreciated because the flaws that he has would not be frowned upon as much or magnified as much back in those days because, well, the, the game of basketball, quite frankly, was much more different. And there wasn't as much social media, media to point out the bad things. So, that's how I feel about Russell Westbrook right now. I think he's a I think he's a really great player, but I think that a lot of people would feel even better about him or appreciate his greatness a little bit more if he played in a different era. To me, sadly, even though Russell Westbrook's gonna be a Hall of Famer one day, no doubt about it, I believe Russell Westbrook is playing in the wrong era for all the reasons that I mentioned. And I want to talk about Kawhi Leonard, okay? You know, in the past. I've said that the media has overrated Kawhi Leonard's legacy. And to this day, I stand by that statement. I think the media has sort of tried to lead us to believe that Kawhi Leonard 
is one of the 25 greatest players that's ever lived, when in reality, he's more closer to being a top 50 player of all time rather than a top 25 player of all time. I wouldn't quite, quite put him in that class, you know. But today, I wanted to kind of evaluate Kawhi Leonard as a player. I wanted to talk about the pros and cons of Kawhi Leonard's game, okay? So, let's talk about it. Let's dive into it. So, Kawhi Leonard's had a nine-year career so far. And during that nine-year career, he's been a five-time All-Star, two-time Defensive Player of the Year Award winner, a two-time NBA Finals MVP. You can make the argument he's the greatest Toronto Raptor of all time because he led the Raptors to their first-ever NBA championship. Right now, today, I'd say Kawhi Leonard is easily one of the ten best players in all basketball. And to me, he's going to be a Hall of Famer when it's all said and done. Now, the pros of Kawhi Leonard. What makes Kawhi Leonard good, okay? What's so good about Kawhi Leonard? Well, the thing you have to appreciate about Kawhi Leonard is wherever he goes, usually that team wins at a high level, okay? The San Antonio Spurs have not quite been the same since Kawhi Leonard left them, okay? The San Antonio Spurs, they won a championship, and Kawhi Leonard was was a part of some really good, really good, really talented teams in San Antonio, and he ended up winning a Finals MVP in San Antonio in Toronto. Gets there the first year, they win a championship. The Clippers, they're competing for a championship now with Kawhi Leonard, even though they have been a disappointment over the past two seasons. And you can't take away the fact that Kawhi Leonard is an NBA champion, okay? You know, Toronto, they 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 went out there on the market and said. We need a guy that can be the best player on a championship team. We need to upgrade over DeMar DeRozan. Kawhi Leonard was that guy. Okay, and Kawhi Leonard has, to me, a really good work ethic. Now, I think Kawhi Leonard, to a certain degree, has peaked a little bit because I don't see the same hunger that I once saw from Kawhi Leonard. I think that his skill set has peaked a little bit. I don't know how much better he can get as a player. I think he's maxed out, you know, his overall skill set, but and ceiling as a player, I should say. But the first year Kawhi Leonard got to the NBA, he averaged seven point nine points per game. Five to six years later, Kawhi Leonard turned himself into a legitimate NBA superstar. So you have to applaud Kawhi Leonard. He's a player that has won that has won big games in his career. He's been a part of championship teams. He's going to contribute to winning and. For the most part, he's a top 10 player in the league, okay? So, he's, he's a pretty good player. Going to be a Hall of Famer one day. Now, the cons of Kawhi Leonard, the negative side. What I kind of despise the most about Kawhi Leonard, and by the way, there's a, there's a lot to like about Kawhi Leonard, but I'm nitpicking here, okay? But when I nitpick Kawhi Leonard, what I don't like about Kawhi Leonard is that on a nightly basis, during an 82-game regular season or a 72-game regular season now that the um, games have been reduced a little bit, Kawhi Leonard isn't Kawhi Leonard on a night-in and night-out basis, okay? The reason why is because he's not always available to play, or at least he doesn't make himself available to play. Every single year, he doesn't go out his way to do it, okay? And that's fine, and I'll get into why that's not a good thing in a minute, but in 2015, Kawhi Leonard played 72 games. In 2016, he played 74 games. Outside of that, he's played 62, 58, 66, 
64, nine games played. You know, that year he got injured. 60, 52, and 52 games. And often, the reasons why he's missing games is because of injuries, for one. So he's got he's been banged up a little bit. And because of load management. Now, when you play for a team like the Spurs that has multiple Hall of Famers on the roster and you want to load manage, that's fine because you've got really good players to pick up the slack for you, okay? Same thing with the Raptors. They had a really talented roster a year or two ago, and Kawhi Leonard was able to sit those amount of games. Same thing with the Clippers, a really talented roster where if Kawhi sat, his teammates could pick up the slack. But what if Kawhi Leonard played for the Hornets? What if he played for the Grizzlies or the T-Wolves and had that same mentality? I don't think it would go so well in the locker room because, see, when your best player is not going out his way every single day to make sure that he's ready to play and ready to go, that reflects on the team. And it reflected on the Clippers roster last year and come playoff time, they weren't ready to play because they didn't have great chemistry, okay? And what I admire the most about Damian Lillard, LeBron James, you know, Kevin Durant is that when they can play, they play. They're not worried about low managing, okay? And another thing about Kawhi Leonard is this. He is not the ultimate alpha. He lacks a killer instinct. And by the way, you don't necessarily always need to have this killer, killer instinct to win a championship. Sometimes the talent just outweighs that, okay? And we saw that in Toronto and San Antonio. The team was so talented, it did not matter about Kawhi Leonard's limitations as a player, okay? But as an analyst, as a guy that covers sports, it's my job to go beyond what we think and go beyond what we see, okay? In San Antonio... Kawhi Leonard had a lot of support. Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, Greg Popovich. He did not have to be the alpha of that team. He could just kind of ride the coattails and be great in spurts when he needed to be. And that's what he was in the finals when he won the MVP. Same thing in Toronto. Kyle Lowry was the grown-up in the building. Fred Van Vliet was taking the big shots in the clutch. Okay? And also in Toronto... They were the number one seed before Kawhi Leonard got there. And what's notable that year is that was the first year LeBron James left the Eastern Conference. And no Kevin Durant, and Kevin Durant didn't play in the NBA Finals. So you can make the argument Kawhi Leonard got a lot of breaks that year, okay? I know a lot of people don't want to point those things out, but I care about the details, people, okay? And we saw for the first time in L.A. with the Clippers this year, Kawhi Leonard have to establish a culture. Kawhi Leonard had to be the undisputed leader, the undisputed alpha on his team, and he failed. He did. The Clippers come playoff time, they were unprepared, they underachieved, and they were bad late in games. They could not close the deal versus the Denver Nuggets, and they blew a 3-1 lead. And a big reason why is because Kawhi Leonard is not a closer. He's not an alpha. And he, quite frankly, is way too quiet for my liking. He's not a communicator. The guys that are the most clutch in big games are guys that communicate. Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, even LeBron James at times. These are vocal guys. Kawhi Leonard, not the most vocal guy. And when you're winning, it's all good. But when you're losing and when your back's against the wall or when you're in a crisis, 
I don't want Kawhi Leonard on my roster. I'm sorry. I don't want any part of the guy. Okay? And more times than not, in order to win championships, you have to overcome those obstacles. I want to see if Kawhi Leonard can overcome Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks once again for a second straight season. I want to see if he can beat LeBron James and the Lakers. I want to see him versus Kevin Durant and the Brooklyn Nets. I want to see it. But I don't think we're going to get to see it. Because, quite frankly, I don't think Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers have what it takes to win a championship. I just don't think Kawhi Leonard has the alpha mentality to be the undisputed best player and leader on a championship team. Okay, I just don't think he does. So we'll see, but those are the pros and cons of Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi is going to be a Hall of Famer, but those are where my concerns lie. But the bottom line is Kawhi Leonard is well-respected. He's turned himself to he's turned himself from a role player to an MVP caliber player. And when it's all said and done, Kawhi Leonard is going to be a Hall of Famer one day. He deserves to be praised for that. So those are the pros and cons of Kawhi Leonard, at least to me. I think it's now appropriate to talk about Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, I'm just going to say this right now. This statement right here might infuriate Milwaukee Bucks fans. Quite frankly, I really don't care. I am here to tell you the truth and tell you what you need to hear. And by the way, what I've learned from you know putting out content is this. A lot of people don't like to hear the truth. Okay? In reality... If you can go out there and tell the truth, just tell the truth and, you know, you'll get attention even if, even if you don't want it sometimes, okay? But here's the thing. Giannis Antetokounmpo will not win a championship until he gets another superstar player by his side. And even then, it's not quite guaranteed. But in order for Giannis Antetokounmpo to compete for a championship, and truly have a chance of winning, winning at NBA Finals, he needs another superstar by his side. And by the way, that is okay. You want to know why? Because LeBron James does not win four NBA championships if he doesn't have Dwayne Wade, if he doesn't have Chris Bosh, if he doesn't have Kyrie Irving, if he doesn't have Kevin Love, if he doesn't have Anthony Davis. Kevin Durant, if he didn't have Steph, Steph Curry and Klay Thompson by his side in Golden State, Probably doesn't win those championships. Kawhi Leonard had Hall of Fame players in San Antonio when he won a championship. And as dominant as Shaquille O'Neal is, you know that one of the biggest reasons why he won a championship, or I should say championships, the biggest reason why he won four championships in his career was because he played alongside the two best shooting guards of all time, not named Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, and Dwayne Wade, okay? I like Chris Middleton. He's a nice player. He had, a, he had an unbelievable game when he shot in game one versus Miami a couple of nights ago. And Milwaukee's looking good versus Miami. But he's not a superstar level player. There's a ceiling with Chris Middleton, okay? And Chris Middleton right now is the number two option on that team. For me, I want Chris Middleton being my number three option, okay? That's just me, though. Drew Holiday? He's a good player. He's an upgrade over Eric Bledsoe. But not enough star power for me, okay? And while Milwaukee has made some moves to improve this team, 
I don't think they made enough. And everyone talks about how the Miami Heat should be crucified for not trading for James Harden. The Boston Celtics should be crucified for not trading for James Harden. What about the Milwaukee Bucks, people? Milwaukee is not a big-time free agent destination. James Harden was there for the taking, and the Milwaukee Bucks didn't even go after him. I mean, what are you doing? I mean, Milwaukee apparently actually appears to match up well with Brooklyn, even when they have James Harden. Imagine if Giannis and the Bucks had James Harden. They'd be honestly maybe the favorites to come out the East, but Milwaukee couldn't get the deal done. And look, Giannis is a great player. In my opinion, he's a top 10 player in the NBA right now. That that should not be up for debate, okay? You could even make the argument that Giannis is the best big man in the game of basketball. I mean, obviously you have Joel Embiid, Anthony Davis, Nikola Jokic, but he's in that conversation. Giannis after the Kupo. He's won multiple MVPs, even though I think he should have only won one MVP up to this point. I think James Harden should have won the 2018 MVP award, and Giannis, he deserved that second MVP award, but not the first one. Um, Giannis is very dominant on defense, you know, and he's a very talented player. But there's a trend with Giannis Antetokounmpo in the playoffs. He has not proven that he can be a closer. He's a liability late in games at the free throw line. And he's often a lesser version of himself in the playoffs. And his lack of having a diverse offensive skill set has hurt the Milwaukee Bucks late in these playoff games a lot of times. Okay? Giannis Antetokounmpo needs a player by his side to make plays for him and to take the pressure off of him and to go out there and score 20 to 30 points on any given night if need be. The Milwaukee Bucks rely way too much on Giannis Antetokounmpo. Okay? Now, I don't know how long Giannis is going to stay in Miami, in uh, Milwaukee. He may stay in Milwaukee for his entire career. But, you know, wherever Giannis ends up in the future, if he stays in Milwaukee, if he goes somewhere else, I would advise Giannis to team up with another superstar player because I don't think Giannis is quite as great as the LeBrons, the Kevin Durant, the Steph Currys, the Luka Dodgers, the James Hardens of the world to truly carry a team to a championship. And a lot of players aren't good enough to carry a team to the championship. They need help, okay? He's not quite an elite NBA superstar. And quite frankly, he's a big man that has limitations, and he just needs another guy by his side. There's nothing wrong with that, in my opinion, but that's the hardest reality. Until the Milwaukee Bucks get another superstar beside Giannis Antetokounmpo, I can't take them seriously to beat Brooklyn. Maybe they can beat maybe they can beat Philadelphia if Brooklyn gets upset and um, gets to the finals, but I don't trust them to beat the Lakers. You know, this Milwaukee Bucks team is good. They have some nice pieces, but they need another star besides Giannis Antetokounmpo, and I don't think they have it. And until Giannis gets another superstar by his side, I don't see him competing for championships legitimately anytime soon. So I think that it's appropriate to now talk about the New York Knicks, who made the playoffs in 2021 for the first time in seven years. Now, the question I want to answer today is, are the New York Knicks truly on the rise? Now, for me, the jury is still out. 
I want to see what the New York Knicks look like next year because I think that year two under Tom Thibodeau is going to tell me a lot about the direction of this team and how this roster is going to look going forward and how this roster projects. You know, you can experiment with a team here and there, and you can surprise people for a year, but then fall off the map the very next year. I want to see the New York Knicks continue to build and sustain success, okay? When I see that the New York Knicks can repeat similar success next year and show me that they're on track to continue to get better and better year in and year out, then I will officially say the New York Knicks are back. But the jury for me is still out. Now, for you Knicks fans out there, if you disagree with me, that's fine. But I will say this. You should at least definitely be very optimistic if you're a Knicks fan. Whether the Knicks are truly on the rise or not, we can debate that all day. But I think that where we all can compromise and agree on, on a certain term is this. The New York Knicks seem to be in a place where there's some true direction with this team. There's at least a plan put in place. At least we think so. And I think Knicks fans should be optimistic. First of all, last year in 2020, the Knicks were 21 and 45. Not a good record at all. This year, in 2021, they went 41 and 31 during the regular season. A 20-game improvement. They're a playoff team. They have a chance to win a playoff series this year. It, it appears that they've gotten the head coach right. Tom Thibodeau has turned around this team. Now, there might be a ceiling with Tom Thibodeau to me. Um, I don't know how this roster is going to look over the years with Tom Thibodeau because we've seen Tom Thibodeau turn around, you know, teams that, that have needed kind of a little bit of a, you know, kickstart to a rebuild. But we haven't seen Tom Thibodeau always compete for championships. So I think that there might be a ceiling with Tom Thibodeau here. I don't know if he's the head coach that's going to win the Knicks a championship one day. And winning a championship is hard, okay? There's a lot of things that factor into that, okay? Um, there might be a ceiling for now, but you look at Julius Randle. Had a breakout season. Career high in points, rebounds, and assists. Emmanuel Quigley, a really good rookie. R.J. Barrett seems to be getting better and better. Derrick Rose is a good veteran player. This Knicks team has a solid bench. And what you hope for the New York Knicks is that they continue to, you know, reestablish themselves as this historically great franchise. And potentially they they might be able to land a star one day if the chips fall in their favor. Maybe a Kawhi Leonard. Maybe a Giannis into the Kupo down the road. You know, we'll see. But are the New York Knicks truly on the rise? Um only time will tell, but I do like the direction the Knicks are going in. I think that this team plays hard. Tom Thibodeau has this team buying into a new culture. And I think the culture is slowly but surely definitely being changed with the Knicks. And it seems like the Knicks are staying the course. They're drafting well. They're not overspending for players that don't fit their team or their culture. A long time ago, the Knicks would just get greedy and spend, spend, spend in free agency for players that don't fit their that don't fit the team, don't fit the culture, and it would just be a mess. But I think they're truly being patient and staying the course. And a couple more good drafts, a couple of years of developing Julius Randle and RJ Barrett, maybe adding a star or two. 
the New York Knicks really could be, you know, firing on firing on all cylinders in the next couple of years eventually. But only time will tell. That is how I feel about the Knicks and if they're on the rise. We'll see. So the Philadelphia 76ers obviously hired Doc Rivers in the 2021 offseason to be their next head coach. And so far, it's worked this season in 2020. The Philadelphia 76ers have the best record in the, in the Eastern Conference. They're the number one seed in the playoffs. Um, Joel Embiid's having an MVP-level season. Uh, ben Simmons is playing pretty well, and Tobias Harris is playing pretty well as well. And the Philadelphia 76ers are in the championship picture. However, going forward, I, I'm sorry, but I do not buy Doc Rivers and the Philadelphia 76ers. And quite frankly, once Doc Rivers was signed by the Philadelphia 76ers to be their next head coach, I just looked at that signing and I said, eh, they're going to win games. They're going to be dominant in the regular season maybe some years. But when it matters most, they're not going to come through. And, you know, here's the thing. Doc Rivers is a very good head coach. But if I were to choose if Doc Rivers is overrated or underrated, I'm going to take the overrated side because Doc Rivers has been a head coach for 22 years in the NBA and has had a lot of talented teams. He had a lot of very talented Boston Celtics teams. He had a very, he had a very, he had a very talented, you know, roster uh, for several years with the Clippers. And a lot of these playoff runs have ended in disappointment in 22 seasons as a head coach. Doc Rivers has won championship. And you can make the argument that Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and Ray Allen, they should have won more championships in Boston. I always thought to myself, why didn't those guys win more championships? Okay, they won a championship, but why didn't they at least get to the NBA Finals once again? I understand they were getting up there in age, but a big reason why I think is because, well, Doc Rivers to me is a slightly overrated head coach. I mean, in Orlando... He wasn't competing for championships. In Boston, you know, he won a championship, but a lot of people felt that he should have won more. And with the Clippers, he massively underachieved with some tremendously talented rosters. And last year, to me, was the last straw. I saw Paul George and Kawhi Leonard not be committed to the Clippers the way they should be. And that is on Doc Rivers, the head coach. You need to be able to control your star players. And I don't think Doc Rivers was able to ever able to grasp control of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And as a result, the team unraveled down the stretch in the NBA bubble and they blew a 3-1 lead to the Denver Nuggets and disappointed. Now, I will say, Doc Rivers has gotten Joel Embiid to buy in. But I don't know. I just don't see Joel Embiid as having that killer instinct when it matters most. There's something missing with Joel Embiid. In fact, in five seasons uh, that Joel Embiid's been healthy, he's got two playoff series wins. Okay? I just need to see more. And I know that Philadelphia's going to win games in the regular season. They did that in the regular season. I know Ben Simmons has some skills, but he's not an alpha. And I just think that while this roster is being elevated by Doc Rivers, I think Doc Rivers definitely has elevated this roster. Don't get me wrong. I just don't think this roster, along with Doc Rivers, has the makeup 
to get past LeBron and the Lakers or Kevin Durant and the Brooklyn Nets. I just don't see it. I don't see Doc Rivers winning a championship with the Philadelphia 76ers. And they have, they have a very talented roster, but I don't know. There's just something missing with this team. And there's just something missing with Doc Rivers' coaching philosophy to me. I don't know if it's that he doesn't quite, you know, know how to get home to his players the way he should. I don't know if he's demanding enough. I don't know if he's taking too much of a backseat to his players at times. I don't know what it is. There's just something off with Doc Rivers in this Philadelphia 76ers fit. And I just think that they're going to disappoint when it matters most. I'm not a, I'm not sold on Philadelphia. I'm not going to be sold until they prove me wrong. So for me, I'm not a believer in Doc Rivers and Joel Embiid and the Philadelphia 76ers. When it's all said and done, Doc Rivers and the Philadelphia 76ers will disappoint you when it matters most. Well, everyone, that's pretty much all I have today. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode today. Have a God-blessed day. Stay safe, and I'm Ghost.